On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we look back on Maryland's two midweek wins over Elon and then the three losses to Creighton. Plus, we look forward to this weekend as the Terps open up Big Ten play against the Indiana Hoosiers. And to break down that, we talk with Josh Eastern of the Hoosier Network, who covers Indiana baseball. Then I sit down and have a conversation with Terps senior third baseman Taylor Wright to talk about his leadership role as a senior on the Terps this season. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Connor Newcomb. Hey everybody, welcome into episode number 62 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Connor Newcomb here, your host, alongside Zach Solon, who you heard over the past five games calling the Terps two and three week as they won two down in Elon and then three or lost three against Creighton at home. And Zach, well, maybe not a great weekend for Maryland. Obviously things started off well against Elon, but not a great feeling around the team, maybe a little bit coming off a bad weekend against the Blue Jays. Yeah, some really big offense in North Carolina in the two-week midweek series against Elon. Also took advantage of a lot of big base running opportunities. And then against Creighton, those just didn't come. They left a lot of runners on base throughout really the entire weekend. It was really frustrating. Really only had two big hits the whole weekend, uh, That going up until the ninth, before the ninth inning on Sunday. Uh, the two-run Randy Bednar home run on Friday was their only runs, and that was a 3-2 loss, so a close game there. Got to be frustrating. They left, a, they left a runner in scoring position uh, on in the bottom of the ninth inning, and then on uh, Saturday, again, they had, were down 3 nothing going into the sixth inning, bottom of the sixth, Justin Vote up. We know about his offensive struggles lately. He finally seemed to have broken out of it, hit a three-run bomb to left center, tied it, then they gave up two more runs in the eighth. Mark DeLuya came in. He'd been pretty good against Elon in the midweek, but then on Saturday just didn't have it, put a couple of runners on. They gave up the two runs and then left the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning. And then going into the ninth inning on Sunday, they were trailing again 8-1. to one. They just seemed to you know, not be able to have it. They were down just one nothing after the first, kept it scoreless until the sixth, gave up seven in the uh, four in the seventh, and then uh, they each scored a run in the eighth. So it was 8-1 as we were going into the ninth. They scored five runs. They got some runners on. Then Aline, Bednar, and Wright back-to-back RBI double, back-to-back-to-back RBI doubles. And then just couldn't get Wright in. So they ended up sending the tying or go-ahead run to the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning of both Saturday's and Sunday's game and just could not get the runners in and be able to take a couple of games that we thought they were going to win you know, this Creighton team hadn't played a lot coming into the weekend. They'd had a lot of games rained out. This series was moved from Omaha to College Park, so you thought Maryland might have had the edge. They had Hunter Parsons, Zach Thompson, Trevor Labonte, their big three going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but a couple of bad pitches from the pitchers. Labonte got off to a tough start on Sunday, did bounce back from it in the later innings, but then he wasn't able to go, and then the bullpen kind of collapsed a little bit, and the bats just weren't going at all. Yeah, for Maryland, a sweep at the hands of the Creighton Blue Jays this weekend in College Park. A 3-2 to loss on Friday, a 5-3 to loss on Saturday, and an 8-6 to loss on Sunday. You talked a little bit about all three of those games. The Terps in that Friday game really didn't have much going offensively at all in that one. They had two runs in the fifth on a Randy Bednar two-run shot. That was it for the Terps. They got a couple runners on down the stretch, but 
really couldn't do anything and lost that one three to two. In the game on Saturday, as you talked about, just they trailed early again. Justin Boat hit a three-run homer in the sixth to tie it, but two in the eighth, won it for Creighton. And in that crazy Sunday game, Terps were down eight to one in that one. Five runs in the ninth, brought the tying run to the plate, but couldn't get it done and were swept by the Blue Jays as the Terps fall to 12 and 11 on the season and Creighton now 11 and five with the three wins over Maryland. But the hitting was not there for the Terps this weekend. However, the starting pitching was not at its best this weekend, but still solid for the Terps. And it started with Hunter Parsons on Friday night for Maryland as he had another pretty good start. It didn't start off so hot. On the first pitch of the game, a home run or what was called a home run was hit down the right field line in that game by the Creighton leadoff hitter Isaac Collins and well for people that were at the ballpark I admittedly was not I was in Jacksonville but Zach was there and you didn't have a great view of it but the Maryland dugout did and said it was clearly a foul ball but it was called fair and that obviously changes the game. The only person who seemed to call it a home run was the first base umpire at the time who had the best view of it. Rob Vaughn came right out of the dugout I don't think even Randy Bednar, the right fielder who had the best view of it, thought it was a home run or fair. So that one, really just the one, one of three bad pitches thrown all night by Hunter Parsons, in my opinion. He gave up three solo home runs, and now, Connor, you have to think. If that ball in the first inning is not called a home run, now, there's no replay like we have, you know, in, in college baseball series like this, but, you know, the game was a 3-2 loss for Maryland. So if that home run doesn't happen to start off the game, the momentum might change. might be a 2-2 game going to extra innings, and it's different. But, you know, that's baseball, and you can't change it. And that is just a tough break for Maryland, who got eight solid innings, ten strikeouts from Hunter Parsons. Yeah, the, the Parsons gave up a couple more solo shots in the second, and it was 3 nothing. But he really settled down after that, as you said. Ended up giving up those three earned runs. Just those three runs on three solo homers actually only gave up four hits. Only gave up one other hit besides the three solo homers. Ten strikeouts, no walks. However, when with Hunter Parsons, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. You pretty much replace the walks with the hit batters because he pitches in. Ten walks, three hit or ten strikeouts, excuse me, three hit batters. Again, ties his career high through 116 pitches to get through eight innings. Will Glock pitched a scoreless ninth for the Terps to keep it at three to two, but the two runs was all the Terps would get on that two-run homer in the fifth inning off the bat of Randy Bednar. In the ninth inning for Maryland, the bottom of the night, Ben Cowles walked to start the inning. Justin Vogt bunted him over to second base, but then Tommy Gardner struck out and Chris Aline was retired to end the game, and the Terps lost that one by a score of 3-2. to two. On to game two, you talked about Terps lost that one 5-3. to three. Again, a little bit of a rough beginning for Zach Thompson, who started game two. He gave up a couple of runs in the third and then another run in the fifth, and the pitch count was really elevated for Thompson. He was only able to get through five innings. He really had to work for some strikes on Saturday. Yeah, he labored through the first couple of batters and then first couple of innings, really, and he was able to get out of it. Didn't give up any runs until the third, but that one's still not a lot, just a, a double and then... A uh, couple of uh, singles from Holton and and uh, a ground out from Robertson to move some runners over. So Creighton was playing some small ball a little bit, and then um, you know they just were able to get the runs. And Maryland still lacking that big hit. And then going into Saturday's game, that was Saturday's game as well. Justin Vote tied it in the sixth, but by that point Zach Thompson was already out of the game and on his way 
elsewhere because of his pitch count getting so high at the beginning. Zach Thompson is a pitcher who I say it a lot. He works, he works a lot more comfortably when he doesn't have runners on base, and he could be really, really good, but when the hitters get to him, that's when he kind of loses his control and his command and puts runners on and puts the, his team down, and then he's supposed to rely on the bats to get going, and they just didn't have it all weekend. Five innings for Thompson on Saturday. He threw 105 pitches, allowed three runs on four hits, five strikeouts, two walks, and two hit batters. He just was not getting the inside pitch to be called a strike. There were were some interesting strike zones this weekend between the Terps and Creighton, but not a lot of pitches were called strikes on the inner half or just off the inner half of the plate, but a lot of pitches extended off the outside corner and below the knees were called strikes. And the issue for Terps pitching is that Hunter Parsons and Zach Thompson especially, and Corey Muscara loves them to do this, love to throw in, especially with that fastball that comes down and in on right-handers, and they weren't able to get that strike call. And Thompson still battled, but... 105 pitches he had to leave after five innings and at that point the Terps were trailing three nothing Justin Vogt however got the big hit in the sixth the three-run shot to tie the game at three got Thompson off the hook for the loss Elliot Zollner was great again two scoreless innings for him but Mark DeLuya just was not effective coming out of the bullpen walked a couple of batters a couple batters or a couple runs were charged to him after Daniel O'Connor came into the game in that eighth inning and Creighton got two in the eighth to take the lead 5-3. to three. Terps again tried to rally a little bit in the ninth inning of that one after Caleb Walls grounded out. A.J. Lee was hit by a pitch. Two-out single from Taylor Wright. Two-out infield single from Maxwell Costas. Loaded the bases for Tommy Gardner, but he went down looking on a 3-2 pitch that was maybe a ball for other umpires, but either way, he did not protect and went down to end the game as Creighton then clinched the series. And then going into Sunday, Zach, it kind of looked like the Terps and the Blue Jays were playing essentially the same game where Creighton gets runs early and the Terps offense couldn't get it going. Creighton got a run in the first inning off of Trevor Labonte, although it could have been much more. A leadoff triple from Isaac Collins, although he was the only guy who came in to score in the inning after a RBI single from Robertson, the very next batter. Labonte was able to get out of a jam with the bases loaded to keep it at one nothing. And then that was really it for Creighton for a while, but the Terps offense couldn't get anything going either. We'll start with Trevor Labonte. Like you said, a, a rough start. Isaac Collins hit that triple on the first pitch of the game, and then uh, Will Robertson, an RBI single to you know give Creighton a one nothing lead. They that got, you know scored first in every game of this series. Then Labonte kind of settled down a little bit, got the next two batters out, and then walked the next two batters, worked out of the bases loaded jam, walked the first two batters he faced in the second, and then from there, like we saw Parsons and Thompson do after giving up their early runs this weekend, was they kind of settled in, started to find their command, but then the pitch count just got too high up there, and then as Maryland went to their bullpen, it was Tuck Tucker, actually, who uh, put some runners on in the first couple of uh, batters he faced, and then the bullpen from there just couldn't shut it down. Labonte in his start went four and two-thirds. He allowed a run on four hits. Eight strikeouts in four and two-thirds, a good number, but the five walks, not what he wanted. He threw 97 pitches. Sean Fisher, I think, was the positive note out of this game besides the bottom of the ninth inning. He's really been struggling with command lately, but he went an inning in the third scoreless with a couple of strikeouts, which I think was big for him. However, Tuck Tucker coming off that great start against Elon faces a couple of batters and gives up a couple of hits ends up being charged with two earned runs Billy Phillips won a third of an inning 
And then John Murphy came in just to get some work in because he hadn't worked all weekend. Obviously, the Terps closer ends up going an inning in two-thirds and is charged with three runs on five hits. So not a great appearance for Murphy either. And as Creighton had that one nothing lead the entire game, went to the seventh, still up one nothing. But then the Blue Jays get four runs in that seventh inning, including a two-run home run in the inning off the bat of Jake Holton. Then they got one more in the eighth to make it a six to nothing game, excuse me. Terps got one in the bottom of the eighth. A.J. Lee walked with the bases loaded to make it 6-1, to but the Terps then left the bases loaded. It remained a 6-1 to game. Creighton got two more in the ninth as they hit another home run. Ball was kind of flying out of the ballpark for Creighton. Jordan Hovey hit a two-run shot to make it 8-1. to And you look back, Creighton scored a combined seven runs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. You look back at that, if the Terps just could have locked down a little bit more on the mound and defensively and kept some of those runs off the board, they may have been able to win this game because the Maryland offense came out fighting finally in the bottom of the ninth inning on Sunday. Terps ended up with five runs in the ninth inning. After an A.J. Lee single made it 8-6, to six, Justin Vogt came to the plate representing the tying run, but he popped out to foul territory down the first baseline to end the game. So despite a tough weekend, some tough pitching down the stretch, not a lot of good hitting. At least something the Terps can take away positive. Put up a five spot in their final inning of the weekend. That's finally when the bats came alive. Unfortunately, it was much, much too late when it comes to the weekend series. And one of the weaker points for Maryland this this weekend series is really their bullpen. It was, it was especially on a, a Sunday, as you said, they gave up four runs in the seventh, one in the eighth, two in the ninth. And they were so shut down against Elon. It was the first time that Maryland had two midweek games uh, in a week all season, and they had to go to their bullpen a lot. Tuck Tucker making his first career start at Maryland was lights out, gave up one run and one hit, just a home run in his last inning of five innings of work. Maryland took a blowout victory in both of those games, 11-4, 12-4, and then against Creighton on Sunday especially, the bullpen just not working, not able to get those outs. Even John Murphy had a rough outing, like you said, Connor. And when your closer doesn't really have his best stuff, the rest of the bullpen is going to struggle as well. And that's what Maryland, I think, has to work on going into Big Ten play. Now, there were some positives last week, despite the three losses to Creighton. Terps took two in Elon, as you said. That first game, it was a Tuesday-Wednesday double midweek. The first one down in Elon, Terps won that one 11-4. Mark DeLuya got his first start of the season after he was a weekend starter last year, has been demoted to the bullpen this season. He went two and a third, allowed two runs, one of them earned on two hits, three Ks, a walk, and two hit batters. Only went two and a third again. Terps bullpen did a nice job. Daniel O'Connor was hit around a little bit, but then the bullpen really settled down after that. The two of them gave up four runs over four and a third, O'Connor and DeLuya. But then Will Glock went two and two-thirds scoreless with three strikeouts. He was great. And then scoreless innings from Elliott Zoner and Billy Phillips to finish things off for Maryland on the pitching side. Offensively, the Terps exploded. Caleb Walls had a two-run inside the park homer in the second. He ended up hitting another home run in the eighth, drove in a run with a bunt in the seventh. Randy Bednar did a little bit at the plate to help the Terps. A.J. Lee had a very, very good game, including a couple of doubles, and a home run in the eighth inning. A two-run shot was his first of the season. So the Terps' offense really exploded in game number one, and they came right back at it in game number two and really did the same thing to Elon. That was a 12-4 Maryland victory to sweep the double midweek. Tuck Tucker making his first start for the Terps, one of the JUCO transfers who has not pitched well out of the bullpen this year. 
But even before he got to the mound, Zach, the Terps were all over Elon in that second game. You're right, Connor. They put up a five spot in the first inning. And a lot of, all those runs came with two outs. A.J. Lee walked in a run to start it off. Then Sebastian holti Monsera, who had had some struggles this year so far, got a nice two-RBI single right up the middle. Then Caleb Walls hit a two-RBI single. He finished with six RBIs in that midweek series. And then a couple of more big hits, a Randy Bednar two-RBI double in the third, put Maryland up 8 to nothing, 9 to nothing before they allowed a run. And the Terps, as you said, the 5 nothing lead early. It was 9 nothing, and Tuck Tucker pitched very well in his first start. He goes five innings against Elon, allows just one run on one hit, five strikeouts and one walk. He threw just 60 pitches in five innings, but obviously the Terps had used him exclusively as a reliever this year who hadn't gone many long appearances, so they got him out of there after five. And then the bullpen was a little shaky at first for the Terps. Sean Hine gave up a run in one inning. Sean Fisher gave up two runs in an inning. But we saw something good for Maryland in those last two innings. First of all, Cody Milton, who has really struggled at the plate in his freshman year, seemingly striking out almost every time he's come to the plate, flipped things around. He was a great two-way player in high school at Severna Park High School, a pitcher and a hitter. Of course, his dad, Eric, was a pitcher in the big leagues. Cody Milton makes his debut on the mound in the eighth inning against Elon. Now, I know it wasn't a very high-drama situation. His team was up 12-4 to in the eighth, but he throws a 1-2-3 inning. He gets two strikeouts, and then Mike Vasturia worked a scoreless ninth, which is nice for him as well. But for Cody Milton, the Terps still obviously hoping he'll produce as a hitter. But as a pitcher... If he can look like that, it just gives the Terps another arm. So Cody Milton, in his first pitching appearance in college, hasn't really played much, gotten a couple of innings in the field and a couple of plate appearances. Like you said, he had been struggling. So the coaches are looking for something else to do with him. Taylor Smythe and I were talking about it down in Elon, and the coaches say he's got a golden arm. He throws hard. So he really works with really just a fastball right now. He's probably going to work to develop other pitches after this performance, but struck out the first batter he faced. That gets the momentum going. And then he got the second out of the inning. Then for the third out, had two strikes. He quick pitched. You don't see that a lot, especially from guys who don't throw a lot. But Cody Milton tried what he had in his arsenal. He quick pitched, struck out the batter, worked a 1-2-3 eighth inning. And I don't think I've seen him happier uh, in his time here at Maryland so far. He was pumped up coming off that mound. Like you said, the lead pretty big for Maryland at that time, 12-4 going into when Cody Milton came in. But still a big spot for him. The coaches got to see what he could do. Working a 1-2-3 inning against another D1 team is, is a good sign, especially since he's in his freshman year, and they're looking for something to do with him. And of course, it was big for Cody, and it was big for the Terps offense, those two games at Elon, to get it going after they were swept the week before at home against East Carolina. Terps lost the first one 9-0, second one 2-1, and then a perfect game thrown by Jake Kuchmaner in Game 3. ECU won that one 3-0 to sweep the Terps. But the Terps... In the week, go two and three. The two wins at Elon, the three home losses to Creighton. Again, we apologize. We weren't able to put out an episode of the podcast last week. Just a lot going on with the two of us, different places at different times. But we bring it to you here as we break down the last week. And as we finish up our recap of last week for the Terps, we pick our Terps of the week. I'll start it off, Zach. And, you know, it's tough to go with a hitter maybe after the weekend. But when you look at the Elon games, I think it makes it easier to go with a hitter. And I'm going to go with a guy coming off of injury for the Terps, and that's going to be A.J. Lee, who hit his first home run in that series against Elon, had a couple of doubles. The bat came alive. 
He ended up with a couple of RBIs in Game 3 against Creighton, drove in a run on a walk in the 8th inning, and then had that RBI single that brought the tying run to the plate in the ninth. And his defense has looked good. He made a nice diving stop, too fast of a runner to get up and make the throw, but made a nice play in that game on Sunday against Creighton. And he's starting to look a lot better hitting at the plate. Now, he's been getting on base all season, but he's starting to swing the bat better for Maryland, and that's why A.J. Lee is my Terp of the Week. Something interesting here about A.J. Lee, Connor. He started in center field on Saturday. Coaches wanting to try something different. They put Lee in center. I spoke to him after that, and he said that he had played center field before. It was nothing that new to him, but obviously he had been so used to shortstop. But something interesting about when he started in center field, he went three for four with a couple of doubles in that game. He's been seeing the ball really well. And when your senior shortstop, one of your captains can be hitting like that, that's going to be a pretty, pretty good sign. So my turn of the week, Connor, I'm going to go with a hitter too. I'm going to go with Tommy Gardner. So he did strike out looking to end the game Saturday. We mentioned it was a tough call. But Gardner has kind of earned the second base starting spot at this point. Beginning of the season, it was Ben Cowles. Then A.J. Lee got hurt, and then Gardner came in to play second while Cowles had moved over. And recently, we've seen that Rob Vaughn and the rest of the coaching staff really wants to keep Gardner in the lineup, mainly for his defense. But he has been getting some big hits, had a couple of RBIs, and had a double in Sunday's game. So he's been getting some more at-bats, getting used to the college scene here in his sophomore season. And I think going into Big Ten play, he's kind of a sleeper for the Terps uh, to you know, kind of get their bats going. Good spot at the bottom of the lineup. He's got a lot of chance to make an impact. So the Terps offense, as we've talked about, they've been so up and down. Bad weekend against ECU, great two games against Elon, and then kind of quiet to the ninth on Sunday against Creighton. As a lot of the guys on the team have had up and down seasons, but really one guy in this Maryland lineup you can look at that's been consistently good all season is the senior third baseman, Taylor Wright. Right now he is third in the Big Ten and hits. He leads the Big Ten with 10 doubles. And I sat down with him on this week's podcast to talk about him becoming really the Terps' most consistent hitter here in 2019 after he had his own peaks and valleys throughout 2018. And, of course, we talk about his transition from the JUCO level here to the D1 baseball level and him really being a leader on this Terps team now as one of the four seniors on the team. So here's my conversation with Terps' third baseman, Taylor Wright. Taylor Wright at bat now with runners on second and third. He lines that one into right field and it will drop in for a base hit. Aline comes in to score. Wright trips around first. Randy Bednar is being waved home. He will score. It's now eight to five with one out in the bottom of the ninth. A two RBI double for Taylor Wright. Another couple of close games this weekend. Wright crushes one to right field and deep. McNeil going back towards the track. He looks up and is gone. Back-to-back -back home runs, Bednar, now Taylor Wright, his first of the season, and the Terps lead it 5-0. So, Taylor, first of all, thanks for joining us this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, I want to start with you being one of the few seniors on this Maryland team this year. Obviously, you haven't had a four-year career at Maryland, but your second year with the Terps. Have you felt yourself taking any kind of leadership role on this year's team? Yeah, definitely. I think just like you said, being a senior, people kind of look to you for advice or, you know, some kind of direction on what to do, especially some of the younger guys who are in their first year here. So, you know, I've really enjoyed that, just kind of getting to know the younger guys and helping them along a little bit and kind of showing them the ropes and hopefully teaching them some stuff that I've learned about college baseball in the time that I've played. And how have you helped some of these younger guys? Because not only is this a young team, this is a team with young guys who are playing right away. 
Yeah. Um, honestly, just, you know, making an effort to get to know them and, and talk to them as much as possible and just kind of see where they're at, make sure they're, you know, not getting down on themselves or frustrated because, you know, a lot of times when you come in and play in your first year, you, you might not see the results that you expect of yourself right away or, you know, you might, it might just not, you know, go exactly how you want it to go. So just kind of reminding them that it's part of the process and it, you know, it gets easier and, and they're doing, all the younger guys are doing really well, honestly, like with, you know, with the offense and, and the defense, especially they're, they're making big strides with that. And they're definitely all have really bright futures ahead of them. And, and they have a lot of reasons to be confident. So I just kind of try and remind them of that and keep their heads on straight, you know? So you talked a little bit about struggling early and that happened for you a little bit last season in your first year at the D1 level with the Terps. You started out in a starting role, but kind of wavered in between that in the middle of the season before coming on late a little bit last year at the end of 2018. Do you feel like it took you a little bit to get adjusted to the D1 pitching or what do you think happened there? And then obviously you started to get it going near the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of factors. Um, uh, sometimes it just kind of takes a while, you know, you come into a new environment and it, it takes a little bit of time to get used to. And I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, to, to have those results show up and, and it frustrated me a lot when they didn't. And, you know, that's kind of a cycle you can get in of like, oh, man, you know, it's not going well and I need to turn it around. And the more you kind of press, the the longer it takes and the longer that slump that slump can last. So, you know, just kind of growing as, as a person outside of baseball and, and realizing that it's all part of it. You know, like if if you don't have those periods of struggle, you probably haven't played for long enough. So it's just, you know, trying to take the good with the bad and, and not – get two up or two down and just take it one day at a time, you know? And obviously that's worked out for you this season. Right now you sit third in the Big Ten in hits, first in doubles with 10. Have you felt any improvements that you've made over the offseason over the past year? Or you just feel like, you know, your swing's finally coming together here in your senior season? Um, yeah, a, a little bit of that. Like like you said, the swing coming together, some stuff I've worked on with, with the coaches. But a lot of, uh, you know, more just kind of mental game stuff and – and just having, you know, a better a better approach and a better understanding of, you know, the fact that the more you kind of chase those results, the more elusive they become, you know. So just trying to, like I said, take it one day at a time and, and enjoy the game as much as I can and have fun out there and help the team win. And obviously the last couple of weeks has not been great offensively for you guys. Obviously it was a good end to the Sunday game, you guys putting up five runs in the ninth inning. But other than that, between the ECU – in the Creighton series, it wasn't a lot of offense. But before that, you include the Elon series, and before that, you guys were really hitting up and down the lineup. And obviously, this lineup has the talent to continue to do that. So not just you in the three-hole, but being backed up by a freshman in Maxwell Costas, who has been also one of the most dangerous hitters in the Big Ten. And you have a lot of guys up and down that lineup. What kind of confidence does that give you guys every game, not just knowing you can hit, but that also you guys can break out of maybe a little slump that the lineup's in right now? Yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely good to to look back on those those games where we really swung it well and and had some kind of consistent at bats up and down the lineup and as a as a sign that it's it's in there and and it's something that we can do, you know, it's definitely possible. Um but yeah, you know, it, it baseball's a funny game and sometimes those ups and downs can just feel so severe and you, you know, you forget that 
the bads, you know, you, it, you're, you're never as bad as you think you are and you're never as good as you think you are. And, and, you know, we just kind of got to get back to, got to get back to playing a little more like ourselves out there on offense, I think. And going back to last year a little bit, we had you on the podcast last year as well in your first season as a Terp. And we talked a lot about your recruiting process, not only from the JUCO level to Maryland, but also out of high school into the JUCO level. And I know you talked about, you know, you really weren't getting the college looks maybe that you thought you would get and ended up going the JUCO route. So thinking back to then, was there a time there when you ever thought like at one point, hey, I'm going to be the starting third baseman and hitting third for a Big Ten team? Um, honestly, at, at the time, it seemed like, you know, pretty far off. I was definitely not, not a good enough baseball player to be, you know, thinking about that at the time. But it was also something that I knew, you know, with, with hard work and, and some improvements, I could definitely get there. And it was, it was a goal of mine to get to the D1 level and, and to start. So I guess I would say it was, you know, it was something that I kind of, used to motivate myself and, and kind of my goal in that period of my baseball career. Um, but it also felt like, you know, a pretty, pretty big kind of distant thing at, at times as well. So, And so you make it to the JUCO level at Colorado Northwestern, maybe some games that were a little bit harder to find, as we talked about last year yeah. with you being recruited. But out of those two years at the JUCO level, what do you think you took most out of that experience before coming to D1 baseball? Um, honestly, just loving the game, man. Like you go to JUCO, and and if you don't really love it, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it through the two years because there's just so much, you know, so much you have to do to just be able to play a game. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta set up everything by yourself. You have no one to you know, bring you food during the games. It's, it's all, you know, everything you got to do by yourself. And if you don't really love it, you're not going to, you're not going to really want to put that, you know, all that extra time into just making a baseball game happen, you know? So times, like I said, like, um, or like you brought up when I was struggling last year, I just kind of thought back to that and thought, you know, like, just think about how you were playing there and, 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 how much you love the game and, and just enjoyed it, you know? And that's, I would say that's definitely the biggest, I guess, lesson I learned from that is just how important it is to enjoy it and to to embrace where you're at and, and have fun with it. And now you talk about the things you kind of have to do at the JUCO level, the extra things that you don't have to do when you get to a Division One school. And it seems like going through that phase in your life and in your baseball career kind of brings together a lot of the JUCO guys. We've seen that this year on this year's team, guys like Tavin Shahidi and Caleb Walls and Ben Irvine who have gone through the JUCO experience. Does that kind of bond guys when you get together at the D1 level? Yeah, I think it does um, to a certain extent. You know, we all had kind of a, a similar experience with it and that, you know, we went there because we didn't really have anywhere else to go and, and did our best to make the most of it, you know, and, uh, yeah, I think I think it brings you closer together with those guys to just have some experiences in common. And and when you have that shot, um, you talked about it to get from the JUCO to the D1 level, and you have that shot. Do you do you appreciate things just a little bit more when you get to to this level of baseball? Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely kind of makes you realize, you know, if you're if you're struggling or you're frustrated, it's kind of gives you something to think back to of like, well, you know, at least I, we have it a lot better here than, than I did when I was there, you know, and it's, 
it, I have a lot of good memories of JUCO, and, and it was a really enjoyable experience. But it's also kind of funny to look back on and think, you know, man, we have it so good here compared to, compared to those days. But, yeah. And so I asked Caleb Walls this question a couple weeks ago on the podcast. I asked him for his best PG-rated JUCO story that summed up his experience. Oh, and his was they didn't have L screens in batting cages and dudes were just getting hit by balls. And one time a guy got hit so bad in the shin that he missed a lot of playing time. And that's when they finally yeah. stopped hitting in those cages. Anything like that at the junior college level for you? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, we, we had some crazy stuff. Uh, PG rated, I guess. I mean, we had all of our equipment was just like archaic. It was, we were hitting off tees that had been like, broken and taped up probably 20 times and I don't know just kind of funny stuff like that like or like we used to um our our hitting cage our turtle that we had on the field it didn't have wheels on it so we'd have like 10 or 15 guys go and lift that up and carry it down to home plate you know just stuff like that kind of grinding and making the most of what you have and so you've gotten through that and now you're here at Maryland obviously in your senior season having a great year so far and despite some recent struggles from you guys on the field. Still 12-11, and 11, over 500, and had a very good start to the season, and obviously Big Ten play starts this weekend from Indiana. What have you seen? Because it's been interesting that you have been here with the Rob Vaughn era starting. Your first year as a Terp was also Rob Vaughn's first year as head coach last year, and he's talked about how he learned a lot from his first season as head coach, obviously with you guys finishing under 600. What have you seen differently just in kind of how the team goes about things this season from last year? Yeah, there's a lot of differences. Um, part of that is due to just, you know, the, the composition of the team and the group being really young. You know, it, it kind of creates a bit of a different dynamic around the park, which is fun. And then definitely for, for you know, me being a senior and the other guys, the other three seniors on the team, um, really enjoyable to, to have that many young guys to, to work with and help out. Um, but there, yeah, there's a lot of differences. I mean, just um, from a, you know, from a baseball perspective, it I think there's a lot less, you know, pressing going on in in general. Like you said, we have had you know some struggles the past couple weeks, especially at home. Um, but just kind of, kind of a feeling of hopefulness about the team that you know it, we're struggling, but we're getting better getting better through it as opposed to that feeling of, you know, pressure of having a team with a lot of upperclassmen last year, uh, juniors and seniors that were kind of all struggling. Um, that, that brought a lot of pressure to the, to the group and to the clubhouse of like, you know, what are we doing wrong? Like what, what's going on here? And we just couldn't figure it out. Um, but I think the dynamic is a bit different this year, more kind of looking to the future and, and looking to, you know, set these younger guys up for success in the future and and help them along. And also just realizing that, you know, all these these struggles that we're facing right now are, are even if we don't necessarily love going through it, making us better for the conference season coming up and, and all the important games we have coming up. And you talk about the conference season. You guys get to open Big Ten play this weekend at home against Indiana. And it seems like, as you just talked about, the losses – aren't quite weighing as heavily on the team as they were at certain times last year. And you guys seem to be able to rebound a little bit better this year. And now you look at the Big Ten schedule, and obviously 
when you get into Big Ten play, what you're trying to do is get yourself to the Big Ten tournament, which you guys weren't able to do last year because once you get to Omaha in the Big Ten tournament, anything can happen after that. So do you kind of almost look at it because of maybe some late struggles in non-conference play that, all right, we can turn a new page here, start the Big Ten schedule, and let's get going? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of a common theme for every team in college baseball when you go from the the non-conference schedule at the beginning of the year into the conference season. But especially um, for us right now, having come off of a rough series this past weekend and some struggles at home, it's definitely a nice kind of way to sort of reset and and turn the page on that and you know learn what we need to learn from it and realize you know some things that we need to improve on and some stuff that we have to work on and you know go to work on that but also have a bit of a fresh start with with an O and O conference record like coach Vaughn says so and you know it's not just any team that you guys are opening up the conference schedule with there was some things that happened at Indiana last year at the end of the season where you guys went in having a chance to still qualify for the Big Ten tournament obviously didn't get it done a very interesting three games in Bloomington last year it is this put a little extra something on these three games, just knowing, all right, this is who ended our season last year, and our first crack at the Big Ten is right back with the Hoosiers. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a fun series, fun to have them at home. You know, uh, We kind of dusted it up a bit with them last year and had a, a few strange games, you know, that one with the, the rain delay in the middle and, you know, the big home run by their guy at the end there. And it uh, just, you know, an emotional series for both teams for sure. Um, and yeah, I think it gives us a little extra jump, you know, something to something to look forward to that we're going to get a chance to play a good team and a team that we really want to compete with at home to start the Big Ten season. And then I just want to finish up with, you know, obviously being here at Maryland for your second year and your senior season, everybody knows of all the Terps players, you're the farthest from home playing for Maryland. And we know your mom is a huge fan. She listens to all the games on MVN. She's always in the comments section. And you get to see her from time to time as she comes to visit. But how important is that, despite you being, I don't even know how many miles away, to still see her be able to come see you play sometimes? Yeah, it's really nice. She was able to, to come down this year when we were in Florida uh, and watch us play Stetson there for a few games. It's just it's nice to see the family. You know, it's, uh, I don't get a chance to see them as often as I would like to, obviously, being so far from home. So... Anytime I get to, you know, spend with, with her and my grandfather also came down with her this last time. Uh, it's it's really nice and kinda gives you a little bit of a little bit of a mental break to get to spend some time with your family and, and talk to them and catch up with them. And now she is probably one of the more active listeners in the comments section during the broadcast, giving comments about the way you're playing, the way the Terps are playing. Do you hear those same things after the games from her? No, I, I fortunately, I don't see the comments when I'm playing. Otherwise, I might be a little bit embarrassed. But um, no, she, when I talk to her, we kind of try and keep it away from baseball. You know, I just, she's my mom and she's not, she's not my baseball coach. She didn't, I don't, she knows I don't really want to talk about that with her outside of the field, so. And then just to finish up with you guys, obviously a little bit of a rough end, as I said, to the non-conference schedule, but still over 500. You start with Big Ten play. Where do you think this team with all these young pieces and then you guys with the four senior leaders can go here in 2019? Yeah, I mean, definitely, like you said, um, still still above 500, but we, we do feel like we left some chips on the table in the preseason there and just some small things that we need to clean up, you know, defensively and and offensively, not even major changes, just, you know, playing a bit 
cleaner baseball and just tighter, better all-around baseball. Um, kind of, kind of feel like we're close. You know, we just we need a uh, we need a couple small things to go away and a couple small adjustments, and and we should be able to get over that hump. Well, thanks, Taylor, for coming on the NBN podcast this week, and good luck against the Hoosiers this weekend. Yeah, thank you. So our thanks to Terps third baseman Taylor Wright for spending some time with us this week on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And, of course, Zach, as we talked about with Taylor, he's been the consistent guy in this Maryland lineup, a senior who's hit third, played third base in every single game for Maryland. And he's been so key to having the lineup with so many guys having up and downs this year. Taylor Wright has brought the consistency that Maryland has really needed this year. You're absolutely right. And when you talk about consistent, one thing you want to look to is hitting streaks. He has gotten a hit in every single game dating back to the second game of the Stetson series and, of course, leaving out that perfect game. But when your guys are hitting like that, he's now hitting on the season 297. So he's one of a couple hitters in the Terps lineup flirting with 300, but he's definitely up there. And he's hitting in the three spot. He's been their solid third baseman. And when you have a senior like that, he transferred into Maryland last year, and he's been doing such a solid, consistent job, like you said. And he's the kind of guy you look for, not just for leadership, but to get the big hits like we've seen him do all year, leading in doubles, has a couple of big RBI hits on the season. You mentioned drove in a couple of runs in that five-run ninth inning on Sunday. So Taylor Wright's been doing an excellent job, exactly what the Terps have expected and needed him to do. So he's been coming up big. And now Big Ten play starting, Taylor Wright's going to be another guy you look to to pound on those Big Ten pitchers. And obviously I talked with Taylor Wright about how big it is to maybe start fresh a little bit with a blank slate in the Big Ten schedule. And obviously it starts this weekend, Maryland and Indiana in College Park to kick off Big Ten th play. Three games this weekend, 6.30 p.m. first pitch on Friday, 2 o'clock on Saturday, and 1 o'clock on Sunday at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium as Maryland and Indiana meet for at least Maryland to open up the Big Ten schedule. The Hoosiers come in at 15-8. and eight. They're already 3-0 and oh in the Big Ten, coming off a home sweep against Iowa last weekend to open up their Big Ten schedule. They've won eight in a row at the moment. They do have a midweek game on Wednesday against Kent State, and if they win that one, they'll come to College Park with a nine-game winning streak in what would be a 16 and eight record and of course these two teams know a lot about each other however this is indiana's first ever trip to college park despite the terps being in the big 10 since the 2015 season as the terps and the hoosiers have met 12 times in its history all since maryland joined the big 10 and indiana has won eight of those 12 matchups two teams met in bloomington last year to end the regular season two different outlooks for the teams indiana was getting ready for the Big Ten tournament, trying to improve its stock for a regional. Maryland was playing for its lives, basically. Needed a couple wins to get into the Big Ten tournament. However, Indiana swept Maryland. Terps didn't make it to Omaha for the Big Ten tournament. There were a couple of scuffles in that series. John Murphy was ejected from a game in that series, which meant he had to serve a suspension that leaked into the first two games of 2019 this season. So, a lot of things going on with these two teams as they meet again this weekend. And to break down the Hoosiers, I had some time to talk with Josh Eastern of the Hoosier Network at the University of Indiana as he covers Indiana baseball, calls the games for BTN Student U, and also obviously covers the team. And I talked with him a little bit about what the Terps should expect from the Hoosiers this weekend. 
Well, Josh, thanks a lot for taking some time this week to be on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Um, so we look at this Hoosiers team, 15-8 and eight this season, as they come to College Park this weekend. It won't be the start of Big Ten play for Indiana as they've already swept Iowa over the weekend. And we'll kind of start there. They get a little bit of a head start on Big Ten play, and they get a big sweep over a pretty good Iowa team. And Indiana's on an eight-game winning streak right now. What's really working for this team at the moment that's put them on this winning streak? I mean, right now it's got to be their, their hitting. I mean, they are scoring so many runs. They outscored Iowa 23-4 to over the weekend. They scored 13 runs on Saturday against the Hawkeyes, and they just continue to just hit and hit and hit even more. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's remarkable. They're averaging over 11 runs per game uh, during this, this winning streak, and it's, it's really interesting because at, at, at the beginning of the year, they were not really scoring a whole lot of runs. They are battling injuries. But starting with the Indiana State road game during the midweek last week before Iowa, they scored 15 runs. They, they won that game 15 to 14. Um, and ev really ever since then, and kind of into that Kenesha series in the weekend previous, I mean, they've just been hitting it all over the ballpark. And, you know, going back to the offseason, obviously the biggest change probably in Big Ten baseball this offseason was Chris Lamone is leaving, taking the Mississippi State job. So, what was kind of that reaction from maybe the school and the fans with him leaving after having so much success? Um, I, it was a little bit of a surprise, I, I think, to a few. But I, I think as you kind of read into it a little bit more, I mean, this was an opportunity for Lamonis that he absolutely could not pass up. I mean, he's going to an SEC powerhouse, a team that just made the College World Series last year. I think that was kind of a surprise for maybe some Mississippi State people that maybe wanted their interim coach to to stay on. But Lamonis is, was, was great for this program. Uh, and then Mercer came in and I, I think people were kind of in, intrigued to see kind of what, what he would bring to this program. And I think so far it's been a, a, a decent start um, early on in the season. They, they got swept at Tennessee um, and then they're there. And people I think were, were kind of intrigued to see kind of how this would change going into big 10 play, obviously getting a sweep is huge for him to, to start big 10 play. And uh, he, he's actually the first coach to ever sweep his first Big Ten series in, in Indiana history. So I think things are on the right track. It took a little bit of time to, I think, get things going. And uh, But I think moving forward, this, this program should, should be in pretty good hands. And yeah, that's Jeff Mercer, who takes over for Indiana. He was the head coach at Wright State for the past yeah. couple of seasons. And obviously, you know, as you said, a little bit of a rocky start. But you said it just there, sweeping a Big Ten series in his first Big Ten series. If he hadn't already won over the Indiana fans, I'm sure he's done it by now. Oh, absolutely. And this team has been so injured. Um, Matt Matt Gorski, who's one of the best players on the team right now, he, he plays right field. Um, he was injured during that Tennessee series where they got swept. That was probably their, their worst series of the season. They struck out a whole bunch. Um, but I think since kind of he's come back and they've gotten some other pieces back healthy – uh, this team can, I, I think, really could take off in, in Big Ten play and sweeping Iowa, obviously, a very good start. And you mentioned the offense earlier. You mentioned Gorski. And when you look at an Indiana offense, it's kind of weird to not see Logan Sowers and Luke Miller in that mm -hmm. offense, both of them going to the MLB draft last year. Sowers obviously was a senior, but Miller was a junior but decided to sign after getting drafted last season. And who are the guys who have kind of filled in and not only – filled in that production, but Indiana's been a better offensive team so far this season. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Cole Barr is one of those guys. He leads the Big Ten at home runs, I believe, with eight off the top of my head. 
Um, he has been really good. He's the everyday third baseman. Matt Lloyd, obviously back. Uh, he's kind of that at first base. He also was the closer in some games. Um, Matt Gorski, who I mentioned previously, he's also a, a very good bat. But another guy who's really come on here in the past really just nine games is Grant Richardson. He's a freshman. He, he made a diving play over the weekend. He was three for four uh, with four RBIs in Saturday's win. He had another home run in Sunday's win. I mean, he has been just a revelation since since coming onto the scene just nine games ago. And Mercer said he, he just wasn't ready to play in the field at the beginning of the season. Now he is. And he won Big Ten Freshman of the Week, Big Ten Hitter of the Week. So he's he's really starting to kind of turn it on for this Indiana team. Yeah, and all those guys giving him a boost. And it's especially just looking at a guy like Gorski who's flashed some power, but he's got six home runs already on the season. And then a guy like Cole Barr who, although he missed some time with injury last year, didn't hit a home run, and now he's leading the league with eight home runs. I mean, obviously some guys are really stepping up this year in that lineup. Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of interesting because Mercer comes to Indiana and he plays a very different, I guess, style of baseball than than Chris Limonis. Limonis was a big small ball guy. Mercer is kind of the opposite. He doesn't like the uh, sacrifice bunt. And I, I think his ideal offense is, a, is, is an offense that hits a lot of doubles and spreads it out. There's not necessarily one inning where they score all their runs. But I think we kind of saw it this weekend where this Indian offense scored two, three, four runs per inning when they scored. And I think that's how Mercer likes it, coming in chunks and hitting a lot of doubles, getting a lot of singles, not necessarily living and dying by the home run ball, although it's just kind of worked out that Indiana's hit a decent amount of home runs this year. And obviously they found some other ways to win as well. You look back at Friday night against Iowa, basically what played that entire game with a 2 nothing lead. Iowa mm-hmm. ties it up late, and Indiana, even without a home run at the end, still finds a way to win that game. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a really weird game, actually. Logan Kalitha came up in the ninth inning with uh, with a runner in scoring position, and he had he was 0 for 20 coming into his last at-bat, or 0 for his last 20 going into to that at-bat, and he hit a just basically it was a little flare off the end of the bat, and the second baseman kind of bobbled it for a sec. The runner from second came around and scored, and it was just kind of a, a good win for the Hoosiers. But in that game, Paulie Milto, who's Indiana's Friday starter, he went into the ninth inning. He had 10 strikeouts. Uh, that was a career high. And all of a sudden, he gave up two runs in the top half. But luckily, Indiana then came back in the bottom half and, and ended up winning that, that ball game. And you talk about Milto as he's taken over as the Friday night guy. Jonathan Stever obviously had been one of the best pitchers in the Big Ten. He was a fifth-round pick last year after his junior season, so he leaves. And Milto is seemingly slotted in there perfectly as the Friday night guy. And he's been the ace and one of the best pitchers in the Big Ten this year. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, he is just an absolute workhorse for this team. He carried a no-hitter uh, into the eighth inning uh, against Washington when they played uh, up in Seattle at, at, at T-Mobile Park earlier this year. I mean, he is just an absolute workhorse. He's he's not going to overpower you with anything. He lives in the low 90s. He's got a good hook, but at the same time, he's going to hit all the spots. He's a total command guy, and he's going to go out there, and he's going to be an absolute gamer for you. Uh, it, it's huge for, for Jeff Mercer to have a guy like Milta who's – who's a senior, who's, who's been through it before to kind of where, where you can lean on him going into that Friday night game. And Milto has a 2.28 ERA this season in six starts. He leads the Big Ten in innings with 43 and a third. But then you look at Saturday and a guy who's really stepped up this season in Tanner Gordon, who was just named the Big Ten Pitcher of the Week after he had a career-high strikeouts on Saturday. And he's, you know, 
you knew what you were going to get out of Milto. He had a great season last year as maybe the number two guy for Indiana. But Tanner Gordon seemingly has really stepped up for Indiana in the Saturday role. Yeah, Gordon was – I mean, this was by far his his best start. He had kind of struggled coming in from, from junior college. Uh, he, he went through a few rocky starts there in, in, in the beginning of the season, but this was an absolutely fantastic start. It was a beautiful day in, in Bloomington, and, and he, he really pitched to it, I guess, striking out 12, going seven innings. I mean, he had his, his stuff on, I think, for really the, the first time all season. Maybe he had a few other good good outings earlier on, but really just seeing him, him throw on Saturday was, I, I think, huge for, for Indiana, knowing that you could – come with with Milto Friday and then back it up with another good start with uh with Gordon on on Saturday and Gordon should go Saturday for the Hoosiers with a 398 ERA for him this season then on Sunday I know the the Hoosiers have gone through a little bit of an injury issue with the Sunday starters Mm -hmm. Tommy Summer had been the Sunday starter but he's been out with some injury how have they kind of filled that role on Sundays the past couple of weeks yeah, I mean, they've, they've gone to Andrew Saul, frankly, he's a junior lefty the past two weeks. And actually, two weeks ago, he struck out 14, which is the most for Indiana in o- almost 11 years. Um, but then this past Sunday, he only went two innings. He's a total command guy. Being from the left side, not going to overpower you. And he just didn't have it. He only went two innings. But I think it was also a chance for Mercer to kind of work on uh, getting some other guys in the game because just the bullpen hadn't really been been used a whole lot um, with the weekend and just with with Milto throwing well and 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 Gordon throwing well. So he brought in Gabe Bierman. He's another freshman from the state of Indiana. Um, he was he was pretty solid in in two innings. It was, it was kind of a a thing by by committee on on Sunday. But I think overall, I, I think Saul Frank is that Sunday guy. It's just whether. You get a good Saul Frank or a bad Saul Frank and how much you need to kind of dig into that bullpen until summer comes back. And obviously they had a good bullpen behind him on Sunday. And I look at these bullpen numbers for Indiana. It looks somewhat like Maryland's bullpen. Now the ERAs are a little bit lower, but the Terps just have so many arms that Coach mm-hmm. Rob Vaughn is willing to throw out there at any time. And just looking at these numbers, it seems like there's just so many arms that Jeff Mercer feels like he could go get outs from. Yeah, there are. I mean, and and I mean, Beerman, who who, who pitched on uh, Sunday. I mean, he's usually a starter, usually a a midweek guy. He had made three starts previous to that outing. Uh, but then you bring in Cal Kruger. He spent some time as the closer last year. And you have Matt Matt Lloyd, who can come in there. I mean, you have a lot of different arms that that you can turn to if you're Jeff Mercer in that bullpen. And I I think that helps, especially when whether you need them for two thirds of an inning, whether you need them for two innings, three innings, whatever it may be. He has guys that can go a little bit longer, or if you just need an out, he can turn to his bullpen and, and, and find someone. And obviously this Indiana offense leads the Big Ten in runs, leads the Big Ten in home runs, and then it's top three in the ERA on the other side in pitching. Now, the Hoosiers last year, very good season, 40 wins last year. They went to the NCAA tournament. They made it to the final of that Austin Regional before being eliminated by Texas in that one. But does this look like a team here in 2019 that can get back to a regional and make some noise again? Absolutely. I mean, kind of like I said earlier, this team is healthy for the first time all season. They have all hands on deck right now. And I think this is a team that can really make some noise in the Big Ten, knocking off a good Iowa team, getting three wins to, to start Big Ten play, obviously a very good start. But, I mean, they, they have a really good starting rotation they have a good bullpen. They score a lot of runs. Just the one thing I, I worry about is living and dying by that home run ball. They've, they've been good with, with extra base hits and trying to manufacture runs, but 
when they get in a close game, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see kind of how Jeff Mercer plays it, whether he's going to revert back to a little bit of small ball or whether Indiana's going to be able to hit themselves out of a, a bit of a slump. So I think when the going gets tough, that's when it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this team responds. But, I mean, so far, I, I think it's been a very positive start for the Hoosiers. And then finally this weekend against Maryland, obviously the two met to finish out the regular season last year in Bloomington. Two teams were in a very different situation. Indiana was just trying to continue some momentum into the Big Ten tournament. Maryland was actually playing for its season that weekend, and Indiana mm-hmm. got the sweep, kept the Terps out of the Big Ten tournament, which was obviously a disappointing end to Maryland's season. Now they open mm-hmm. up Big Ten play again this year. And for Indiana, what do you feel like if one thing has to go right for Indiana for them to get a series win, what do you think that one thing is? I think it's got to be with the pitching. I, I I think it's so crucial in just setting up how the weekend kind of plays out because you had Paulie Milto go, I think it was eight, eight and a third inning on, on Friday night, one of his best starts of the season. And then you could kind of set up the bullpen and you saved a lot of arms going into Saturday and Sunday because Gordon obviously had a very good outing on Saturday, but that's not kind of how it's gone all season. And then Sunday, you don't know what you're going to get from, from Andrew Salfrank or whoever Mercer throws on, on Sunday. So I think the the pitching, especially early in the weekend, is going to be interesting and kind of keep an eye on to see how, how much they can save that, that bullpen and kind of what it gives Mercer in terms of, of flexibility. Well, Josh, thanks so much for giving us some of your time this week and coming on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast to talk about the Hoosiers. Absolutely. Thanks so much. So much thanks to Josh Eastern of the Hoosier Network for coming on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast this week to Talk about the Indiana Hoosiers who come into College Park this weekend. Of course, the Hoosiers last year went 40-19, and 19, went to an NCAA regional, went to the Austin Regional, and lost to Texas in the final of that regional. They were very close to a super last year, and they look like a very good team again this year under first-year head coach Jeff Mercer, who's done a great job this season. And as, Zach, we talked about with Josh, obviously – The big part of this Indiana team, despite them having some great pitching, is the hitting. This is one of the best hitting teams in the Big Ten and in the country right now. And although you'd like the Terps bats to really start getting hot, if the Terps pitchers can't control these red-hot Indiana bats, it's going to be another tough weekend for Maryland. You're exactly right, Connor. Indiana leads the Big Ten in runs scored and in home runs. Their run differential is 56. That's huge at this point in the season, especially with Big Ten play starting. Now, they've only got one hitter in their starting lineup, that's Matt Gorski. He's hitting over 300 to 317. So he's going to be the one that the Terps pitchers look to let down. But remember, Hunter Parsons, the Terps ace, gave up three home runs on Friday. So he's going to have to keep the ball in the park. Indiana has scored 35 home runs this season and only allowed their opponents 10. Now, Maryland doesn't hit a, long, a lot of long balls. We know that. But we have to keep the Maryland pitchers have to keep the ball in the ballpark. And if they're able to do that, then Maryland can try and contain this Indiana lineup. But it's going to be tough. So this weekend, it's the Terps and the Hoosiers in College Park. And obviously, you can hear all three games on the Maryland Baseball Network. The pitching matchups, not official yet, but as we talked with Josh Eastern, they're pretty much set. A couple of teams that have pretty much set up their weekend rotations already. We should see Hunter Parsons on Friday for Maryland against Pauly Milto for Indiana, two of the top pitchers in the Big Ten right now. On Saturday, we should see Zach Thompson for Maryland against Tommy Gordon for Indiana, who is the reigning Big Ten Pitcher of the Week. And then on Sunday, you'll see Trevor Labonte for Maryland, and Indiana will go with Andrew Sawfrank, who has filled into that Sunday spot the last few weeks 
and has done a pretty nice job of that one. Three games this weekend. The first game, Friday night, 6.30 p.m. The Maryland Baseball Network pregame show starts at 6 o'clock. Then on Saturday, a 2 o'clock first pitch. The pregame show starts at 1.30. And on Sunday for the series finale, a 1 o'clock first pitch with the pregame show starting at 12.30. Terps also have a midweek game next week. That's on the road against William & Mary next Tuesday, a 6 p.m first pitch for that one but the big ones this weekend in college park against the indiana hoosiers as maryland at 12 and 11 on the season in non-conference play opens up big 10 play against indiana the team that ended their season last year so we hope you enjoyed episode number 62 of the maryland baseball network podcast of course thank josh eastern of the hoosier network for coming on and discussing indiana baseball with us and thank taylor wright for sitting down with us this week on the podcast. So for Zach Solon and our entire Maryland Baseball Network crew, I'm Connor Newcomb saying so long and hoping you enjoyed episode number 62 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And we hope you can join us this weekend as the Terps host the Indiana Hoosiers for their first three games of Big Ten play.